the Bible is really meant to be understood because many of you are studying scripture and wanting to know more. You have sent in some great questions lately, which I will answer on this edition of End of the Age. Thank you for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. We've had so many great questions lately that I really wanted to take some time to answer some of them. And the first question I'm going to uh, answer for you is a very important principle in the Bible. And it's not necessarily a prophecy, but it's something that you need to know about. And I've been in church most of my life. I've heard thousands and thousands of sermons, but I've only ever heard Irvin Baxter teach on this subject. And so let me give you the question and then I'll give you the answer to it because it's something that you need to understand. It will help in your knowledge of the Bible and about salvation and it'll really help you. So the first question that I got was, Hey, I've heard you guys mention the law of sin and death many times, which we have here on the program and in many of our DVDs and in our college and things. So the question is that the uh, writer wants to know, hey, what is that? Well, that's a short question, but there's a long answer to it. So here goes. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 through 18, John sees a vision of Jesus and the scripture says this. And when John says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me, fear not. I am the first, the last. I am he that liveth was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So it's talking about Jesus here. The Bible says, amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. You say, well, what does that mean? What's what's the keys? What's he talking about? Well, you have to understand that there is a law in the Bible called the law of sin and death. It originated all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God said to Adam and Eve, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of that. For in the day that you eat thereof, Thou shalt surely die. That's all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Well, God was warning Adam and Eve that when they chose disobedience, this was an obedience test, that when they chose disobedience instead of obedience, that they would begin the process of dying. Now, did they die the day that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, they did not die physically but they died spiritually. They disobeyed God, which leads to spiritual death. Another verse expresses this law called 
uh, the law of sin and death. And that's found in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. The Bible says, Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. Here it is. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's the law of sin and death. Everyone in the world, from Adam until today, has lived under the law of sin and death. The soul that sins, it's got to die. Except for one group of people. Those who are rescued from this law by Jesus Christ. Jesus came to provide an escape route from the law of sin and death. Now, since all have sinned, we are all under the sentence of death. But God didn't want us to die. He wanted us to have eternal life. God originally intended for human beings to live forever. Loving us as much as he did, God created a plan to deliver us from the law of sin and death. He came down to earth in the form of a man through the Virgin Mary. Mary was his physical mother and God was his spiritual father. God said, I will become a human being and I will be tempted, but I will not sin. And I will then trick the devil into killing me illegally. Because in doing so, he will break the law of sin and death. And when Satan breaks the law of sin and death, the contract will be invalidated. So this scripture shows us that Jesus never sinned. You remember it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted. And of course, um, now that's there, there, there are many things here that comes into play here. Of course, I'm talking about some of the things that Irvin Baxter revealed in his Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ book that he wrote. And there are many things. And so if you'd like to get a copy of that, you can. It is out now. Revelation, uh, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, part one. Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, part two. Many of these principles are brought out in that. It's a very um, eye-opening project that we've done. So it goes on to say that the things that thou thou have seen... um, like as we are yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4, 15, that Jesus Christ had not sinned. Although Jesus never sinned, Satan did tempt him. You remember Satan said to him, hey, if, and he was trying to, he's trying to bring doubt into the, into Jesus's mind. He said, if you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you be the son of God, cast yourself down for it is written, If you dash your foot against the stone, the angels will raise you up. If you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Remember, in Matthew chapter 4, 3, 6, and 9. So Satan tempted Jesus in every way possible. But Jesus never succumbed to those temptations, even when Satan offered to make him the ruler of this world. Jesus was born to rule the world, 
but he refused to take Satan's offered shortcut. He needed to do this the right way because when Jesus rules the world, it will be forever. So Satan tempted Jesus, offering him the role of the Antichrist. And the Lord may have said, well, hey, why should I want to be your Antichrist when I can be the real Christ? And of course he was. Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. He was the anointed one. He was the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so we're go- what are we going through today? I'm talking to you about the law of sin and death, and we're defining that. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. We've seen Bible prophecy fulfilled like never before. From the halls of the United Nations to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, End Time Ministries continues to reveal the Bible prophecy in the news headlines around the world every day. Whether it's through our broadcast or online at our Jerusalem Prophecy College, your gifts enable us to put vital materials in the hands of those who need it most. Because of you, we continue to replace fear with faith in the hearts of Christians around the world. We will continue to see prophecy come to pass at an even swifter pace. We need your support. Your donation of any amount enables us to continue to broadcast and be a voice in the ever-growing censored media. To become a partner or give a one-time gift, visit endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME right now. That's 800-363-8463. Go online now. Visit endtime.com. When Satan realized he could not get Jesus to fall under the power of sin, in great frustration, he decided to kill him, which he could do since he had the power of death. He knew he was breaking the law of sin and death, but Satan decided to kill Jesus anyway. This law of sin and death was the ground rule whereby the battle for human souls between God and Satan had ruled from Adam all the way up until the time of Jesus. He said, well, I'll I'll deal with that later. He put Jesus to death and in doing so, he broke the contract because Jesus had never sinned, but yet he put him to death. So he made that contract. Null and void. Now, obviously, 
What happens when that contract is void, is broken? Well, it becomes null and void, doesn't it? So it becomes worthless. Jesus came to deliver you and me from the law of sin and death. All the way in um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it tells us Jesus, through death, destroyed the devil. The Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death Jesus might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So, the law of sin and death. Now you see how important it is that you understand these principles. The whole plan of Jesus Christ was to come to the earth and break Satan's power from the human race. When Satan killed Jesus, he broke that contract, rendering it null and void. Notice the scripture says that Satan had the power of death, but that's past tense. Because Jesus defeated Satan, we are freed from the law of sin and death. It's really important to understand the transition here. When Jesus came out of the grave... He appeared to John in Revelation chapter 1 and he said, I am he that was dead. I'm alive forevermore. And guess what I have? I have the keys of death and hell. Satan had them keys from Adam until Christ. But now Jesus has the keys in his possession. And I am so thankful that he does. Aren't you? Satan broke the contract. The law of sin and death does not apply to us once we receive salvation that Jesus Christ freely gave us at Calvary. We do not have to fear death. We can have eternal life. That's why we teach prophecy as a message of hope because I know what's coming beyond the grave. So I don't live in a state of fear. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 confirms this wonderful truth. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We have been made free from the law of sin and death, which ruled the human race for 4,000 years. Because Jesus came and through death destroyed him that had the power of death. We do not live under the law. The law of liberty in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2, it's a a critically important scripture. All of this is built really into into chapter 1 when God said to John, um, write the things which thou hast seen. You remember. Is everyone free? From the law of sin and death? Actually, no, not everyone. We are not free until we are born again, until we participate in the gospel plan of salvation that Jesus Christ purchased on Calvary. Remember, Calvary had to happen because a spotless, a sinless lamb had to die to break the law of sin and death. And when we obey that gospel plan of salvation, we're set free. When we are born again, we enter the new covenant 
and the old laws no longer apply to us. Again, Romans 8, 2 says very clearly, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Once we are born again, accept the plan of salvation Jesus offered at Calvary, then we are no longer affected by the law of sin and death. Isn't this a wonderful plan of salvation? Now, you say, well, the keys to the kingdom, what do you mean by that? Well, did Jesus take the keys with him when he left the earth? No, of course not. He left the keys with Peter. Remember, he said, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Uh, Matthew 16, 19. Seven days after Jesus ascended into the sky, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon the disciples as Jesus promised it would be in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. When the multitude heard the followers of Jesus speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance, they asked the disciples, what does all of that mean? And the apostle uh, Peter replied, your Messiah came to save you and you crucified him. You crucified the Lord of glory who was God manifested in the flesh. And the guilt was almost overwhelming on them. And the people's response was recorded in Acts 2, 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart or they were convicted. And they said unto Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? And they realized that they had sinned terribly and needed to rectify the horrible thing that they had done. They were asking, what do they need to do to be saved? And instantly, Peter was reminded of the keys of death and hell that Jesus had entrusted him with. And Peter's response is the born again plan of salvation purchased by Jesus on Calvary. Now, because of my timeline here, I'm not going to, my time frame, I'm not going to take the time to go through all of that. But for a free copy of the brochure, what do you mean born again? Because I've heard so many different definitions of this over the years that we wanted to write an entire brochure that gave you all the scriptures and slowed way down and lets you absorb the material for a free copy of the brochure, What Do You Mean Born Again? You can call 1-800-END-TIME or visit www.endtime.com. So Peter explained to the people how to escape death and hell. And the key is you must be born again. Remember, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man is born again, he can't even enter or see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So isn't it wonderful that Jesus was, Jesus himself was willing to come to earth, take upon himself sinful flesh, so all of us could be liberated from death. Instead of a sentence of death, we now have the wonderful promise of eternal life. And Jesus said to John, I am he that liveth, that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, and I have the keys of hell and death. Folks, we do not have to die. We do not have to go to hell. Jesus Christ came to this earth to create a plan of escape for all of us. And there is, there is one more important question we need to answer, though. Where are the keys of death and hell today? I mean, 
Peter died. So did he take the keys with him? No. The keys remain here in the true church of Jesus Christ on the earth in 2021. Every Bible preaching minister and every Christian has the keys to get people out of death and hell. The key is simply when we are born again, we escape death and hell and are allowed to enter the kingdom of God. Man, I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? That I don't have this sentence hanging over my head. I've been born again, and guess what? The Bible says, he that endures to the end, the same is going to be saved. And I'm looking forward to spending eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, someday. So that's the law of sin and death. And how you can participate in the plan of salvation that keeps you from that. So the next question I have is, can you please explain Luke chapter 21 verse 24 when the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled? Okay, so in the closing days of his ministry, Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he said this, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered you together, thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's Matthew 23 Verse 37 through 39. Now, in Matthew 24, verse 2, Jesus continued to talk about Jerusalem. He said, the city where God chose to put his name. He, in the Old Testament, you remember, that's what God said. I will put my name in Jerusalem. Well, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? They had been showing him the, the temple and everything, this huge, awesome, wonderful uh, building that was the center of Jewish life. And he turns to them and he said, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, uh, that was like cold water in the face of the apostles. I mean, this was the center of Jewish life. And Jesus told them, it's all coming down. Well, a few years later in 70 AD, just as Jesus had prophesied, the Roman armies destroyed Jerusalem and burnt the temple to the ground to the point where they don't really know where it stood up on the Temple Mount today, the exact location. And thus began the two, almost 2,000 year exile of the Jewish people from their promised land and their holy city. And so God turns to the Gentiles. You remember, the apostle James spoke to the leaders of the early churches. They were attempting to understand how God would turn to the Gentiles. And in Acts 15, 14, he said, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Because Israel was too proud of her role as a God's chosen people 
she was unable to receive a meek and lowly Messiah. In his wisdom, God turned to the lowly Gentiles who were humble enough to receive a salvation they did not deserve. God was looking for a people he could have mercy upon, not one who uh, felt it deserved his divine favor. And thus the times of the Gentiles began. The Apostle Paul attempted to explain this um, truth to the Gentiles in Romans eleven twenty five to 27 He said, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Be careful. That blindness in part hath happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away godliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So there will come a time after the great tribulation, after the, at, the, at the time of the battle of Armageddon, when, it's, when it is culminating, that all of Israel is going to be saved. That's when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Paul also warned the Romans, that the church in Rome, you know, understand the book of Romans is written to the church in Rome. So Paul is warning the Romans against being lifted up in pride because they had been favored by God with salvation. He explained that the uh, mystery that the blindness of Israel would not last forever. And he told them that this condition would only last until the fullness of the Gentiles would be come in. And then he explained that all of Israel that existed when the fullness of the Gentiles would completed would be saved. So he went on in that chapter to explain that God first concluded the Gentiles in unbelief so that he might have mercy on the Gentiles. And they then explained that the Jews are now consigned to unbelief so that he might have mercy on the Jews. And then he summarizes it, this whole discourse in Roman eleven thirty two, He says, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. So when you think about the times of the Gentiles fulfilled, when Jesus spoke of the destruction of Jerusalem, he placed a time on its desolation. And that's in Luke 21, verse 24, which is the the scripture you've asked about. And he said, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword. They shall be led away captive into all the nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. And this is referred to again in Rome, in Revelation 11, 1 and 2, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So I hope this has answered your question about the times of the Gentile being fulfilled. And this is going to wrap up the first session and I'll continue on talking about many, answering many different questions when we come back in just a moment. Move Mountains with Irvin Baxter. This book by Irvin's grandson provides 30 days of devotion that will enhance your relationship with God and others. Authentic illustrations from early morning devotions at end time will help you find your purpose and eliminate fears. Commit to taking this 30-day journey and experience real life change. Get your book for only $14.99. Call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com slash move. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. 
These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. I have had some ask, what about the timing of the fulfill, the, the, when the, the fullness of the Gentiles is coming? What, what, give me some of the timing of that. I don't understand that. Well, from 70 AD until today, Jerusalem has continued under um, much of under Gentile control. I mean, when Jerusalem was captured by Israel in 1967, the 1967-Six the Days War... Many Bible students thought that the times of the Gentiles were over. However, Israel's secular government uh, returned control of the Temple Mount to the Muslims. It's controlled by the Muslim Waqf, the W-A-Q-F, today as we speak. Well, Revelation 11, 1 and 2 explains when the times of the Gentiles will come to an end. The Bible says, and there was given unto me, this is John in Revelation 11, and there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod. The angel stood saying, rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave that out and measure it not for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city city shall they tread underfoot for 42 months. So you remember that Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this passage tells us that the Gentiles will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 Jerusalem months. 42 months here refers to the three and one half year period known as the Great Tribulation, which immediately precedes the Battle of Armageddon. So in Revelation 13, 5, we are told that Power was given to the beast or the Antichrist to continue 42 months. This is the same 42 months that will conclude the times of the Gentiles. When Jesus comes back to earth, destroys the Antichrist, establishes his kingdom, the times of the Gentiles will be completed and all of Israel that has survived the Great Tribulation will turn to Jesus when he descends upon the Mount of Olives. Jesus is the, or I should say, um, Jerusalem is the most disputed piece of real estate on the earth today. The nation of Israel is now reborn after almost 2,000 years of exile. 
and a peace treaty that will settle the control of the Temple Mount is being crafted by representatives of the world community. And all of these factors speak loud and clear to us. This is Bible prophecy. The times of the Gentiles are almost over and the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is very near. So I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Okay, so the next question that I have is a very important one. And I get this a lot. This person said, I'm having a hard time understanding the segmentation and the timing of the book of Revelation that you guys teach. I was always taught that the seals, trumpets, and vials occurred during the final seven years. So I need your help. Okay. So I'll try to simplify this as much as I can. The, the, the book of Revelation is such an exciting book because it deals mostly with the events that occur in, in the end time. And I say mostly, not totally, but mostly with the events that occur in the end time. The book of Revelation is not really the book of Revelation. The, the, first, of the, um, the first verse of the first chapter, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means the revealing or the unveiling. That's why the, the um, revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, part one and two, that Irvin Baxter completed just prior to his passing in November has just, we've just sold tons of these because people want to know. This goes into great detail explaining the book of Revelation. It tells you about all the segments and timelines and it divides all of it out. And it's really easy to understand once you go through that. So if you've not picked up your copy of the unveiling of Jesus Christ, part one and part two, you can go to endtime.com or call one 800 in time, 363-8463. But let me break it down a little bit uh, so you can understand it here on the, on the segment. The unveiling of Jesus Christ is the design of the entire book of Revelation. Revelation contains four very dramatic, exciting accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth. It's not just one account, it's four accounts. The theme of the entire book of Revelation is found in this passage. It says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. That's Revelation 1-7. So let me talk to you, because you don't understand the segmentations and the time, the uh, timelines and different things. The, the three sections of the book of Revelation, you have to understand this. If you believe the book of Revelation is written in chronological order, you're, you're going to be messed up before you even start, really. So, it's not written in chronological order. In order to really understand the book of Revelation, you must know that it is recorded in three different sections. And they're defined for us in Revelation 119. This is a very key verse. The Lord said to John, hey, John, write the things that thou hast seen, the things which are presently on the earth 2,000 years ago during John's era, and the things which will be hereafter. So that's how John, that's the segmentation, the three segments of the book of Revelation. The things which thou hast seen are recorded in chapter 1, Revelation 1. 
the things which are, are recorded in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, things that happened 2,000 years ago, and then the things which will be hereafter are recorded in chapter 4, which begins the prophetic segment all the way to chapter 22. Now, let's, let, me, um, let me break it down just a little farther. The things that thou hast seen. John saw the Lord, and the Lord introduced himself to John saying, Hey, I'm Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the ending. Sayeth the Lord, which is, was, and is to come, the Almighty. That's Revelation 1, 8. And he further reveals himself as being Jesus Christ when John says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, laid his hand upon me, and he said, Hey, fear not. I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth, was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. This is Revelation 1, 17 and verse 18. And these are the things which thou hast seen previous. It's a vision. Now, the things which are, uh, when you come to the things which are, are they're contained in chapters 2 and 3. These are the messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Minor which existed at, the, at that particular time. The churches were um, Ephesus, Smyrna, um, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And history records that after John was released from the Isle on um, exile on the Isle of Patmos, that he returned to Asia Minor, which is today is Turkey, and he was the overseer of the seven churches. Well, Almighty God gave John specific messages to each of those seven churches to present them, which he did after he was liberated from exile. And this was the things. Uh, which uh, you see, the things which, um, John, right? The things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which will be hereafter. Chapters two and the things are the things which are presently back at that time. And then you come to the things which shall be hereafter, which is what a lot of us are interested in, right? The prophetic portion. Well, now, you know, we come to the, the larger portion of this book, the book of Revelation, and these are the things which shall be hereafter found in chapters 4 verse, through verse 20 through chapter 22. The prophetic portion of the book of Revelation, um, which begins in chapter 4, and it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The voice that I heard um, was, as it were, of a trumpet talking to me, and it said... Hey, come up hither and I will show you things which must be hereafter. That's Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. It's not an account of the rapture. You understand that John was simply given, being given a, a visions by God of things that he had seen, things which are, and things that will be hereafter. And so this is what he's seen. He saw visions of heaven and the seven trumpets and, and the vials and all these things. So he was just being given a vision. It was not an account of the rapture. Now, that's the segmentation of the book of Revelation. Three sections. Revelation 119 defines the sections. Then you have to understand the four accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you, you, 
you know, you need to understand that this is very, and a very important fact as we're, we're talking about an, maybe like an overview of the, of the entire book of Revelation. I'm not going to get real, real detailed about each and every little um, nuance of these prophecies today. But I just wanted to help you with the segmentation and the timelines and different things and what the book of Revelation is all about. Revelation contains four different accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Or we might say four different accounts of the unveiling of Jesus. And the entire book is about the unveiling of Jesus, like we said, or the revealing of Jesus Christ to the world at the time of the second coming. The first account of the second coming or the unveiling. And if you, if you look at this, the book of Revelation contains the three groups of seven. You got to talk about the structural elements, the seven seals, seven trumpets and seven vials. But the first account of the second coming is contained in the sixth and the seventh vials. Or, um, yeah, the sixth and seventh seals. The first account begins in Revelation 4 and ends in Revelation 8, 5. And this is where the seven seals are recorded, including, or I should say concluding, with the second coming. All of these end at the second coming of Jesus Christ. These are accounts of his second coming. Then you have the second account, which would be the trumpets. This account's located in Revelation 8, 2 through Revelation eleven nineteen, And the passage gives many events which occur at the sounding of the seven trumpets leading up to and culminating at the second coming of Jesus Christ. All of these conclude at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then you have the third account of the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. In uh, chapter 12, God reveals to us more events from a totally different perspective. Revelation 12 um, through 14, again, from a different perspective, tells us the story of the events that lead up to the dramatic unveiling of Jesus Christ, which happens in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20. So this is the third account. Now, you'll have different things that happen several times throughout the book of Revelation. The thunderings and lightnings and great hail and things like that. But those didn't happen four separate times. They all happened just once because I'm giving four different accounts of the same event. You understand? So this account, this third account of the second coming in Revelation uh, chapter 14, or the unveiling is what we call it. The two harvests. Jesus gave a parable, you remember, of the two harvests in Matthew 13. The parable described as the harvest of the wheat and the tares. Well, this harvest in Revelation 12, 14, where the angels had the sickles and went in to reap. It's the exact same harvest. It's, a, um, it's, the, it's the exact same event. And it's going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ when the rapture and the second coming occur. One simultaneous event. Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever... It is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. On November the 12th, 2013, 
we opened our Jerusalem Prophecy College in downtown Jerusalem. These same courses are now available online for people who are unable to attend the classes in person. We welcome students to join us and discover the link between current events and the prophecies of the Bible. Take your place in the prophecy of Daniel 11.33. Enroll in the Jerusalem Prophecy College today. Go to JerusalemProphecyCollege.com. Now, you remember in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13 that Jesus said that he would har- the harvest is going to happen at the end of this age, at the time of the second coming, when, uh, and he said this, he said, I will gather together the wheat into the barn and I will gather the tares and burn them with unquenchable fire. That's Matthew 13, 30. So the two harvests in Revelation 14, verse 14 through 20 tells the exact same story. In this account, the harvest of the wheat is called the harvest of the earth and the harvest of the tares is called the harvest of the vine of the earth. The harvest of the earth is the rapture. So the main thing you want to know beyond all of this is just make sure you're in the right harvest, right? I mean, you and I live in the time of the fulfillment of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's just ahead of us now. And we want to make sure that we are in the right harvest. We do not want to be in the harvest of the tares. Our number one goal should be to be in the harvest of the wheat, And this is the reason we are studying uh, many times the plan of God for the end time contained in the book of Revelation. God has a plan for each of your lives. And his number one goal is that you spend eternity with him. So we want to be, again, we want to be born again to make sure that we have participated in the plan of salvation so that we can rule and reign as kings and priests with him for the 1,000-year millennial reign, and then spend eternity with him. It's very, very important, everybody. So that's the third account of the second coming or the unveiling of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Then you have the fourth account. The book of Revelation starts over again in chapter 15, and it gives us a record of the seven vials of the wrath of God. The, the fourth account of the second coming or the unveiling happens under the seventh vial. So the sixth and seventh seal, seventh trumpet, and the seventh vial are all the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. Now, in this account, the, it's found in Revelation 16, 15 through 21, and then continues to Revelation 19, 6 through 21. Chapter 17 and 18 are interjected. They're called what they're what's called um, parenthetical chapters or explanatory chapters in the middle of these skeletal structures, the seals, trumpets, and vials. Throughout that, you'll find parenthetical chapters, something where the Lord says, okay, John, stop right here. I need to explain something in great detail. And then he goes along with the skeletal structure. That's what chapters 17 and 18 are. They're interjected in between 16 and 19 to record the judgment of false Christianity, which will take place during the events of the second coming. But these events culminate 
the um, seven vials, they culminate in chapter 19. And there you'll see it. Heaven's departing. Jesus comes to the earth, fights the battle of Armageddon. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. That's Revelation 19, 20. Satan is bound for a thousand years. That's Revelation chapter 20. And then the kingdom of God is established. Now, I want to talk to you really quickly about the Olivet Discourse because it ties a lot of all of this together. There is one more account of the second coming of Jesus Christ that you have to consider, even though it's not found in the book of Revelation. This particular account was given by Jesus himself while he was still on the earth. But it's good to look at this when you're looking at the book of Revelation. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it's found in Matthew chapter 24. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus gave it while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. So it's his Olivet Discourse. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus foretold the destruction of the temple, and it so shocked his disciples that they asked him a question. Hey, tell us, what's going to be the sign of these things? What's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of this age? And Jesus answered this question and he described in great detail the signs of his second coming. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, moon shall not give her light, stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And here's another account of the harvest we were talking about. The Bible says, And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Matt, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the John's vision of the simultaneous harvest where they go in with sickles and reap the earth in Revelation 14 and Matthew 24, 29 through 31, which were the words of Jesus himself. They're all the exact same event, this simultaneous harvest that happens at the end of this age. So you see how all of this ties together perfectly. So if you remember Revelation 1, 7, every eye shall behold him. And what do we see in this account given to us by Jesus? The sun's going to become dark. Moon turns to blood. Stars will fall from heaven. Again, the heavens open, the sounding of a trumpet, and the rapture. So just to make sure you've got it, I want to review the five accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And listen closely at what, what happens at each one. So at the, at the sixth and seventh seals, we have a great earthquake. Sun became dark. Moon became blood. Stars fall from heaven. Heavens opened. Mountains and islands moved out of their places. And the day of God's wrath has come. That's the sixth and seventh seal. Well, what happened in the account of the second coming at the seven trumpets? It's the same account as the sixth and seventh seal. So listen at this. Here's what happens. The earthly reign of Jesus begins. The day of God's wrath has come. Lightnings, voices, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. It's the exact same event as the sixth and seventh seal. And then Revelation 14 in the account of the two harvest, we have the rapture, the, the battle of Armageddon, and the wrath of God again. 
And then you have the wrath of God is poured out upon the people of the earth who have rebelled against Jesus. And you have that again at the seventh vial of the wrath of God. In that account, you have voices, thunders, lightnings, great earthquake. The heavens are opened. Earthly reign of Jesus begins and the wrath of God. Remember, that's in Revelation 16 and 19 because 17 and 18 are parenthetical chapters. And so now that kind of gives you an idea of the structure of the book of Revelation, the the different, uh, the the three segmentations. John, I'm going to show you and I want you to write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will be here after. And then I'm going to give you several accounts of my second coming and the battle of Armageddon. And so if you try to, um, I know that there are people that teach that the seals, trumpets, and vials all happen during the final seven years. But if you believe that, then you'll believe that the wrath of God happens four times in the book of Revelation. And it doesn't. It only happens once. And that's at the culmination of these things. That's why it's mentioned in the sixth and seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, the seventh vial. And it's also mentioned in the winepress of the wrath of God in Revelation 14. Because there are four accounts of the same event there. And that is the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And then the rest of them are parenthetical chapters or explanatory chapters. Once you understand that, the book of Revelation becomes an awesome book to study. You understand the timelines, the segmentation. And once you understand some of the beast and the different events that will occur, you will love to study the book of Revelation. That's why, and I'll mention it again because it's so awesome. My, my father-in-law, Irvin Baxter's last life's big project, he finished it just weeks before he passed away, was Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, part one. Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, part two. And it's the most comprehensive teaching on the book of Revelation that we know of. It comes with several DVDs. It comes with two books. It's awesome. A lot of pastors are showing it in their church because it helps you understand many of the questions you've had about the book of Revelation for years. Okay? Now, one last question. I'll see if I can get this done. The writer writes, the term of the day of the Lord is used throughout the Bible, but it seems a bit confusing what the day of the Lord is. Can you help me out with that? Well, the day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath and the second coming of Jesus Christ. John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a great trumpet. That's Revelation 1.10. What does John mean when he says I was on the Isle of Patmos in the spirit on the Lord's day? Well, some people have interpreted that term, the Lord's day, to mean Sunday. Others say that the Sabbath day is, the Sabbath is Saturday and that that's the Lord's day. What does all of this really mean? Well, the term the day of the Lord is used throughout Bible prophecy as the day when Jesus will return to this earth, overthrow the thrones of men, tear down human government, and execute his wrath upon the people of the earth. Most of them will be at the battle of Armageddon, the armies that will come down against Israel to battle. And that's when we will crown him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And John said, 
I was in the spirit and I saw the Lord's day. And I saw the, I saw the taking over of the world by Jesus Christ. The prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah 14.1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be delivered in the midst of thee. And this, this verse is referring to the day of the Lord. The, the, the passage goes on to say, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of, of battle. So this will happen at the second coming, which is also known as the day of the Lord. So I know when you go through there and, and, you know, John says, hey, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then it talks about the day of the Lord that, yes, that can get a little confusing. But like any other topic in the Bible, whether it's salvation or um, the, the Old Testament law or whatever you want to study, any kind of a prophecy, you have to study every verse that pertains to that topic. You can't leave one verse out. And if you lay all the verses out before you and you go down through all of them and read the context and understand what the writer is trying to say, then you can get it. It really helps to do that. Because if you miss two or three verses over maybe in an Old Testament book or something like that, you can miss one of the main clues that unlocks the whole prophecy or the helps you with the interpretation or the understanding of the topic that you're trying to understand. And so once you lay all of these out, the day of the Lord, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You can see what's happening here and what many of the writers were talking about when they talk about the day of the Lord, that it's at the time of God's wrath and at his second coming, which is one simultaneous event there. It's all going to culminate right there at the very end when the Lord will come back at the seventh trumpet, tear down human government, establishes his government here on the earth, the kingdom of God, and the saints of God will rule and reign as kings and priests with him for a thousand years. So I hope that's helped to answer your questions on these segments. And I want to thank each and every one of you. You you give us great questions and we want to do our best to help you with your understanding. God bless. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463, or visit us online at endtime.com. 